Well, hello again, Memphis, and welcome to Storyboard 30. This is the show taken right out of the pages of Storyboard Memphis, the journal that brings you Memphis stories, ideas, and connections in one place. And I am Mark Fleischer, publisher of Storyboard Memphis, and your host for the next 30 minutes of Storyboard 30. Before I begin today, I'm going to throw out, for those of you listening out there, some dates and some faces and people and groups and see if you can make the connection. 1963, The Beatles, Elvis, Rasslin, Hockey, Soccer, Tigers Basketball, High School Graduations. That can be none other than the Mid-South Coliseum. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so Marvin Stockwell, Chooch Pickard, they are both here from the Coliseum Coalition Board. It's a nonprofit yeah. board. Thanks for having us. Thank you for being here. There's so much we could talk about as far as the Mid-South Coliseum goes. We could spend all day talking about nostalgia, yeah. history, which we'll touch on just a bit. Mainly, we want to talk about where we are and where we're going. The big question would be for folks listening is, is this the year when we get to have an indoor event in the Mid-South Coliseum, first time in 14 years? I think it's safe to say that it'll happen this year. In fact, I, I think it'll happen in the, in the next few months. And the reason I say that is because last year we had two pre-vitalizing mm -hmm. community cleanup events. They themselves were pre-vitalizing events in a way because we were able to give them a tour, the people who worked. The memorandum of understanding that we signed with the city of Memphis and with Clean Memphis, our partners in that, made clear that the reason to do those cleanups was because to prepare the building for pre-vitalizing events inside. So I think it's clear now that it's not just those of us in the grassroots who want to see that happen, but our city wants that to happen. And I think that's because they realize it will increase the likelihood of, of third-party investment, and everybody knows that that will be necessary. Chooch, I'm going to take a step back for a second, too, because the other year that I did not include in that little lead-up was 2006. And 2006 was the last year that there was any kind of occupancy in the Coliseum. When did you all start the Coliseum Coalition? What, what were the efforts behind it? When did it start? Who started it? Well, there was a fairly good-sized group of different unrelated groups of individuals that were concerned about what was happening at the fairgrounds and the, the threat of tearing the building down. And a, a lot of us got together in the beginning of 2015 and, and really started, I think we did the Fairgrounds Forum, I think is that what, that's what we call it. Fairgrounds Forum, yeah. You know, and that was kind of the first time we kind of all got together as a, as a large group and decided we needed to, to join forces. Because, we, you know, we had Save the Mid-South Coliseum was a Facebook page. You had Memphis Heritage people. You had just a lot of different individuals with different interests. So we, we kind of got together and, and started brainstorming what we need to do. You know, those first initial thoughts were pre-vitalization events, uh, which led to Roundhouse 1, 2, and 3. Also, all of which were outside, still yes. working towards getting um, inside. But also the initial things were, you know, <laughs> how do we work with the city and how do we build on the relationships that some of us individuals already had with the city to gain access to the building, to actually go in it and see what kind of condition it's in. And you know, in hopes that the previous reports of the building were false or grossly exaggerated, and and so we worked very hard in the very beginning to kind of get through those hurdles of how we we, we show the, the, the true condition of the building. Uh, without placing any blame, and a lot of Memphians know this narrative, why has it been empty? Let's let's just, in a real brief nutshell, let's remind listeners why. Do you want the legal reason why? Or do you want... <laughs> 
Well, one, we know it, it is not ADA, ADA compliant. compliant. I think charitably we can look back and say Memphis was at a, at a low civic ebb of enthusiasm in 2006 or 2007. So when I look back, I don't point a finger and say, oh, that was, that was not a good decision. The FedEx Forum had been open for two years. The pyramid was still open. You could see how they would look at the Coliseum and say, you know, it's an obsolete facility. We have these other facilities coming online. Mm-hmm. Now, in the intervening years, I think, look where our civic optimism ebb is now at an all-time high. Now, we're, now we're, we've rattled off a lot of civic wins like Crosstown Concourse and the Hotel Chiska and the Claiborne Temple and the Tennessee Brewery. Now, the Coliseum doesn't seem so uh, impossible at all. And thanks to Chooch and his team's hard work, we, had, we have an assessment we can point to and say the building is in excellent shape. You'd be forgiven if you said, well, of course, the, the advocates for the building found it to be in good shape. But the city's own due diligence during the pursuit of the tourism development zone corroborated those findings. So now we know in a, in a really bona fide, sure way that the building is in excellent shape. Countless public opinion polls have shown that the building is beloved, and now the TDZ has passed. There is essentially lead funding to start to renovate the fairgrounds. And from our perspective, we've got a paid-for civic asset that's in excellent shape, and everybody loves it, and it's the emotional heart of the fairgrounds. We think it's inevitable that the, the Coliseum is ultimately reopened beyond the pre-vitalizing uses, but that's where we have to start. Well, and, and, and I would like to back up just a second. You did mention ADA. You know, I, th- I think there were some individuals who had vested interest in it closing down. Obviously, we don't need to go into detail about that speculation, but the true reason it was closed was a lawsuit between the Department of Justice and the city. The city owns uh, a dozen or so buildings that were not uh, up to handicap codes, they were forced to either renovate them, tear them down, or and so the, their idea was that they would just tear it down because they thought that costs were prohibitive to do that. Along with that, there were a lot of life safety issues that in a public building you would want to have addressed. It was a legitimate reason legally to close it, but we have proven in our study that they're not insurmountable hurdles to opening it up compared to other historic buildings that I've renovated. This is actually a piece of cake to get it to today's standards. Yeah, that's one of the things I wanted to be sure we talked about was kind of the myths that are passed around with with regard to the condition of the building. That was one of the narratives that you had to address in the early days of the of the Coliseum Coalition mm-hmm. was reminding folks that no, 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 the, the structure is actually in pretty good shape. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the big myths we had heard was that there was two feet of water on the arena floor. But at the time, we knew they were storing the carousel in there. So that didn't make sense until we got in there. And by the time we got in, the carousel was gone. But the floor is bone dry. What the reality is, the rear portions of the building, portions of it were additions that were built uh, long after the, the original building was built, has flat roofs that were not maintained. And when you don't maintain roofs, water gets through. Water is our biggest enemy in any of these buildings. And Luckily, the dome, because of its its shape and nature, no water sits on it. Right. So that part of the structure is in incredible shape. The flat roofs in the back, which are relatively inexpensive types of structure, do have damage. And, and uh, the city really needs to seal those up in order for more further damage not to occur. But it's nothing that has affected the structure of the building in any significant way. Now, Chooch, I'm going to put a feather in your cap since you you probably wouldn't do it yourself, but I'm going to. You know, Chooch, you're one of the leading advocates, really, in the city 
for being the first individual, the first voice to say, no, this structure can be saved. And I'm talking about everything, everything from butcher shop uh, on Front Street to even to Crosstown to a certain degree to, to the Coliseum. I feel like you're one of those leading voices that will say, no, this, this building is in much better shape than, than you think. That's accurate statement <laughs> and probably to an extreme because I don't always even agree with some of the other preservationists who give in a little quicker than I do. Um, uh, yeah. They're stubborn. Yeah. And, and I, I have a vision for historic buildings and can kind of see a future in them that a lot of people can't. So so people will give up a lot easier than I do. And Marvin, for you, what you, what you mentioned as far as how our, our civic mindedness has changed in the last five years and the last 10 years from one that was, as you said, kind of down on our current assets. We had we yeah. had a, a list of endangered structures that was more than two dozen. On Storyboard, we, we kind of recapped some of the great success stories over the last 10 years, the last mm-hmm. decade, as to, you know, comparing the, the n- number of endangered structures to those that have been saved, virtually all of them that were on the endangered list have been saved or in the middle of being saved. And the Mid-South Coliseum is still, quote unquote, on the endangered yeah. list. But yeah, we have so many successes as a city to look at. And I think you could argue that Crosstown is probably the biggest yeah. because I, of the size. I'd go back and say that we believe that the Coliseum has been saved and it's not endangered. We don't have the final plan to reopen it, but it has been saved. And Marvin might yeah. want to comment Oh, no, I, I, I agree with Chutes there. And, and, and the reason I do is two things. The Allen and Hoschel assessment that the city paid to do, not only did it corroborate Chooch and his team's findings, but it also d- uh, found one other really helpful thing if you're a fan of the building, and that is it raised the cost to demolish from $3 million to between 8 and 10 So who would demolish a building that two separate assessments have shown to be in excellent shape, that everyone loves, that's in the middle of our fairgrounds, and would spend 8 to $10 million to do it? I'll tell you who. Nobody. So that's one reason that I have surety in my voice when I say the Coliseum is saved. The other reason is this. When the city did get that TDZ approved in Nashville, and a lot of people didn't think they would, and hats off to them for doing it, right? One of the hurdles they had to clear was that these people in Nashville thought, wait a minute, didn't we just vote this down a few years ago? How Isn't this just a rehash of the old plan? So they had to go to great lengths to say, this plan use of the TDZ is different from past plans for these reasons. And in that subsection of the application, one of the bullet points says the Coliseum and other buildings are preserved and not demolished. Does that give us forever uh, surety? No, probably not. But that's a, that's something that they said, we're writing it in our application and you've approved it on these grounds. Quite frankly, we have it on good authority that a couple of the state building commissioners leaned across the table and said, you know, we'd feel more uh, apt to vote for this thing if we knew the Coliseum were safe. If you, if know? you think about historically when that happened, it was not long after a lot of state representatives were very upset with, they, they had a perception that Memphians were not about preservation and preserving our our cultural history. Uh, unfortunately, that was linked to something that we should have gotten rid of, which was the statues. So that left a bad taste in the mouth of some representatives that I think really worked in our favor because they were like, put their foot down at that point and said, okay, you guys can't keep removing what some people deem as historic. And so it worked in our favor. Part of the Coliseum Coalition narrative that you and your team, and I say team, there's quite a few folks on your board 
who are passionate about right. you know, the, the, the work that you're doing. Part of your narrative has been moving forward. What can the Coliseum be? How can it coexist with the FedEx Forum? All those factors. How can we bring in maybe seat it for 5,000 people or 6,000 people? What are the things that we can do? However, there is the undeniable uh, nostalgic factor that mm-hmm. comes with the Coliseum. And though you haven't been really actively pushing that part of it, you're looking at, <clears throat> looking at moving forward and what can the Coliseum be, the nostalgia factor is undeniable. And recently, a group from the, the Memphis Public Libraries came in, Kevin Dixon, Jamie Corson. Yeah, great and, team. And started pulling out some old documents. Some fantastic stuff. Flyers, tickets, all kinds yeah. of things, right? And, and, and yeah. the interesting thing is that that kind of came about because we started in this agreement with the city that we'd clean it up. And then all of a sudden, they were like, wait a minute, there might be some good stuff in there that – you know, that we were aware of, that we were not going to let anyone throw out anyway. But it actually was great that it sparked the interest of the library. Yeah. And because they had come in a couple of years before and been pulled out some archives, but not to the extent that they did yeah. later on and yeah. really, really got interested in it when, when things were being uncovered. Yeah. The, the reason to kind of focus on the future utility of the building is because, A, it, there are plenty of great reasons, but kind of strategically, we learned early on that people would tag us with the nostalgia tag and say, we can't save the building because of our memories. They would say, hey, I have my memories too. We can't save a building because of memories. So that's really not focusing on the, on the history is not because we don't think it's cool. I think it's really cool. From our view, it's really fantastic icing on the cake. And the main cake is future utility that, that I think we've more and more have – have proven and, and, and Memphians are waking up to that reality. You know, it's funny. At the outset of our work, I would get people, like we start to talk to them about the Coliseum, and they kind of look around to see if, if anybody was looking at me and say, you know, I – I don't know whether it's okay to say this, but you know what? I love the Coliseum. Can you say that? Can we Can we say that? <laughs> and, and, and it was like, yes, you can. And there was kind of an almost like because that narrative of, of it being in bad shape had been really prevalent. And now we've had to adjust because when we start to talk about the Coliseum, we who've been working on it for five years, we might remember all the past like perceptions. But people immediately cut to the chase and say, oh, yeah, man, the Coliseum's so cool. When's that reopening? That's the, the shift that's been made is the expectation. And that would say that that is also informed by that wider litany of civic wins, the Crosstown Concourse, the, the Claiborne Temple, the Tennessee Brewery. I, I, yeah. I think one of the challenges with nostalgia now that we need to keep pushing is that we know how the building can work, that you know we believe we've done the research on the physical parts of the building, the the marketing, the building, you know, as a mid-sized venue, we've talked to so many concert promoters and for sports, all of these things we know it can be used for. We know that it would be best if that building were open every day of the year. And I think nostalgia is the one way that that can happen. Everyday programming can be tourist-related things. It's amazing. We'll give tours and we'll look out and all of a sudden a huge tour bus will stop. And all these Europeans will get out and take pictures in front of a boarded-up building. Now, Memphis Tourism is not promoting that this is a location you should stop your tour bus, but it should be. It could, yeah. it could be if we were yeah. open. You know, I'll, I'll, I will be critical of Memphis Tourism. They they focus on Beale Street and Graceland, and I don't feel they focus enough on stacks and the, the whole Soulsville story that is completely linked to this building. And we have so much that we can tie, you know, civil rights history as well. Mm-hmm. There's just, First there's, integrated building built yeah. from... In, from moment one yeah and so i mean it really has so much potential and the city 
leaders and, and the leaders at Memphis Tourism need to realize that, that, you know, the momentum's moving now. Let's take advantage of that. And so, yes, it's icing on the cake, but it, it also may be what seals the deal in the end because a performer on the building, if we can show that it's open every day of the year, certainly looks a lot better than, than I think, what, there was 70 events, I think, the last year the it was last open. Year, yeah. Which, which is pretty amazing because it wasn't being promoted as a venue at that time. Right. Yeah. Um, if you're just tuning in, uh, you're listening to Storyboard 30 on FM 89.3 WYPL. This is your host, Mark Fleischer. We are talking with Marvin Stockwell and Chooch Pickard of the Coliseum Coalition and, of course, talking about the Mid-South Coliseum. Speaking of tours, not necessarily tourism, but yeah. tours, you have held how many walking tours to tour the building Upwards for? Of 90, uh, between yeah. 80 and 90 really? VIP tours for potential investors over what, the last two and a half years, two, two and a half years? Yeah. I had no idea. So I had the, the honor of, of being on one of those one of those tours. How would you How would you put the tour, how would you say, like if you were to say it's this kind of tour, how would you put it? People walk through, and I think the the overarching thing, the light bulb that goes off is, oh, wow, this building is is in even better shape than I thought. Even people who might have read the stories that said, oh, two separate assessments assessments have shown that the building is in excellent shape. It's an entirely different thing to walk the halls and realize there's not even any peeling paint. Uh, There's certain areas of the building that look like people shut the lights out and we're we're planning on coming back to work uh, the next night. So I think that's the overarching aha factor. For people who have a history of being in the building, there's there's some reminiscing about like I, I would be I'd be lying if I said the first time I got in I didn't go find my grandparents' tiger season tickets and sit in them and think about them. But equally, we've toured people through who don't have a history, too young to have had a history with the building, and they're drawn, especially young people, and they're drawn to its authenticity. They get it immediately, and some of those young people are the ones that are the most excited about it. So it's it's not just pure nostalgia. It's not remembering the Tigers game or Lawler Kaufman. It, it, it's not just memories. I think it's people walk through there, and visual memory is, is is not only the seat of emotion, but but it's also those visual sight lines show you can start to imagine utility. The other big aha is there's a lot of square footage in the Coliseum too. So can we take the lessons learned by Crosstown Concourse about some fixed uses? And to Chucha's point about tourism, what type of museum pieces might be there? Or like a thematic bar or restaurant that riffs off tourism. I think there are any number of different possibilities. Going off what you said about what people think when they get in there. There's one thing walking through the concourses, but that moment when you enter the arena on the floor, which a lot of people never had the ability to do before, there is just this look of awe in their faces. It is different than being in the pyramid or yeah. or the FedEx form or anything else because of the beautiful design of that building you just there's this peacefulness because it's completely quiet and this emptiness and the the, the acoustics are so amazing that you can have a normal conversation on one at one side of it and hear it on the other so you're just feeling what this space is inside and it's yeah. just absolutely amazing yeah i don't have a personal history with the coliseum myself of course but even me walking in I had to pick up my jaw off the floor half the time because it is yeah. really, truly awe-inspiring. Well, and we also, we, we usually play a little video and audio of uh, a musician playing an acoustic set in there that a gentleman came in and, and on one of the tours and played, and he stood in the middle of the arena, and I stood and recorded it up at the top seats. and With your phone. With my iPhone, and I, I play it for people. <laughs> 
And it is just fantastic that that recording we were able to get because the acoustics are so amazing in there. And that's when people have that memory again. They go, oh, yeah, the pyramid acoustics sucked. You know, like that was a thing in Memphis. People hated about it. We tried to blot it out of our memory. (laughs) And people are like, oh, yeah, no, it really was. It wasn't just that they had the nostalgia for the Coliseum before and they were like, ah, it's just not the same. It really wasn't. Uh That acoustic panel is still sitting there. Uh-huh. beckoning yeah. for future concerts. So you've held, you know, 80, 90 uh, tours of the inside of the building. You also have had uh, a few roundhouse revivals, as you've called them, which are kind of festival-like events outside the building. And the idea, right, is to have the next roundhouse revival inside. Inside, the yeah. Building. That's what we're shooting for. What What obstacles remain then to make that happen this year? We're waiting for the department or general services to let us know what type of air quality standard and or wavering uh, protocol they want us to abide by. We have been unbelievably fortunate to work with that fantastic uh, housing and community development team uh, of Paul Young, Mary Claire Boris, and uh, Lindsay Jackson, and with Doug McGowan. So, and that's been a great team to work with. There has been, there, there are things that they can do that we in the grassroots can't do and vice versa. And we've become a really great, uh, you know, uh, collegial team in a way. It just so happens that getting that answer relies on people that are not in that immediate team we've been working with. So um, we're, we're waiting patiently. We obviously want to do this right and not fast. We have, honestly, when we were planning Roundhouse Revival 1, uh, we had hoped naively that we would be able to get in for for Roundhouse Revival 1. Here we are, you know, five years, almost five years later from Roundhouse 1. But I do think we're, 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 we're closing in on that. It's a different time. There is, like I said, the, the Coliseum being preserved has been codified into the TDZ document that's now passed unanimously at the state. And we've got this wider litany of wins. So I think all sorts of things are different. I am confident that we'll get there. I think it's a matter of when, not if. The, the Roundhouse Revivals, you've had Jerry Lawler has... Has been two, two of them. Two of them. Yeah. Okay. And what else has gone on during these? I mean, that's that's the big draw. Is of course the the wrestling, I, right? I think it's an equal draw, wrestling and music, and, yeah. and a little bit of basketball thrown in there. Mm-hmm. You know, and the, I, I guess the basketball has kind of gone up and down in how much there really is involved yeah. in that. But the the wrestling and music has been a good balance. And the other draw is just the building itself. When we were planning Roundhouse Revival One, we thought. I will be lucky to get a thousand people, maybe fifteen hundred, and then forty five hundred people showed up. And I think the novel thing for that, especially for that first one, was people were seeing signs around town that said, "There's an event at the Mid South Coliseum," and people like that was so novel it had been off the grid for more than ten, maybe nine years at that point. But it was it was a novel thing, and people wanted to be near their building. When we did the two uh, cleanups. We got the, we were told you can have a max of 50 volunteers. And we got those 50 volunteers both times, like, like that. And it's because those people were like, oh, there's a way I can get in the building. I have to work really hard in in the dust and grime. (laughs) That's fine. Anything to get in that building. There is such a civic curiosity to be in that building. And I think once we open it up to pre-vitalizing, not, I mean, we obviously want to program great events, but I think the, the main draw is the building. Well, and, and, and it's it's interesting because we have wrestlers come up to us all the time and say, I, I want to be wrestling it at the very first event. We have musicians <laughs> tell us that all the time. But then, you know, one of our other plans is, you know, we want to have a series of pre-vitalizing events. And obviously the first one, we'd like to have the musicians and the wrestlers in there. But 
we really want to work with other nonprofits to facilitate their annual events. Mm-hmm. You know, we uh, I yeah. could probably name 10 nonprofits that their annual event would be absolutely perfect to have in that building for their yeah. annual fundraiser. I think that's down the road. We've we've tried on a couple of those right when we were doing our cleanups. The air quality and all of that just ha- we've got to nail that down and it's tough because you know we can plan our event pretty fluidly and and you know how it kind of works certain organizations that have their their annual event they have to be planning nine months in advance have to know where they're going to be and be sure of it we're going to have our event as soon as the city lets us do it a nonprofit can't really be that flexible so we're hoping they'll just come in line after we do do the our our due diligence in the beginning get our event in there one of the things that i've really admired about your team is that you guys really have said our goal is to show how viable the Coliseum can be, that it, it still can be open for business. So you haven't pushed any specific narratives on, we think it should be this, we think it should be that, we think it should be for concerts, we think it should be for sports. You haven't pushed any narratives. You basically have said, we, we just think it, it can be used for yeah. something, right? And that frustrates certain people because they, 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 they're they ready. For, we'd all like to fast forward to the end of the movie and, and see, oh, how it ends. Yeah. Uh, but the truth is... I'd say we've come around to saying we think the highest and best use of the Coliseum is as a mixed-use facility uh, with a strong uh, community focus. Mm-hmm. Now, how you would constitute that and, and what mix of event types and fixed-use types I think is up for us as a city to imagine. But I think it's a flexible space. And again, I think we have to – Todd Richardson and crew didn't know the exact constituent parts of Crosstown Concourse when they set about saying this building has utility. Similarly, it's impossible to know the exact mix of variables. But I think once you get in there and you see the square footage and then you see the enthusiasm and then you see the, the wider litany of wins, we can figure this out as a city. We've we got a city chock full of smart people. I, I think the strength of how we approached this, there were activists out there that said, you know, we need the X, Y, or Z to happen in that building. We need it now. And they were, you know, they wanted to go to the city and, and wave their signs and wear their fluorescent T-shirts. And we totally went a different direction with how we would do that. You know, I, I kind of compare the, the difference between activists and organizer. One is at the table and the other one isn't. And we made a conscious effort from the beginning that we would be at the table with the city to come up with the solution to this. And if we had come to the table and said, we need basketball back in there and, and, you know, we need concerts that are going to compete with the the FedEx Forum, we wouldn't be at that table. And so we were very strategic about how we were patient with the city and patient with our access to the building and the amount of events we could do and just everything working through it with them, or we wouldn't be sitting where we are today. Among our ranks are certainly people who would describe themselves as activists, and certainly in the founding days, perhaps more so. But we made a calculated decision early on that we did not want to go negative. Uh, We would want to keep things respectful. And people like to look back and say, oh, gosh, it was you guys pitted against Lipscomb, you know, David versus Goliath. I honestly never saw it that way, and and if I had to dis- describe uh, my conversations with Robert Lipscomb, I would describe them as as friendly and constructive. So maybe that's a little bit of a glass overflowing optimist way to look back on it. I'll grant you, but I mean, I think to Chucha's point, you know, like us saying, let's continue to have a civil conversation, and then it's just patience, right? And 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 the gears turn slow. Todd Richardson said in the early days, I'm not interested in a, in a project that's going to take two years. And then he said, I'm not interested in a project that's going to take five years. It ultimately took him seven years. 
but now we can all walk around inside Crosstown Concourse. Multifaceted projects take time and they take uh, due diligence and just patience. And, and I'm, I'm convinced we'll get there. Coliseum Coalition, you can find your information on Facebook. We're on Facebook and Twitter and even LinkedIn, I believe. But like the best place, the kind of like is ColosseumCoalition.org. You can go look at all of our uh, research that we've stacked up in the last five years. Chooch's assessment, a business plan. Roy Barnes, our president, and, and, and a couple other people are working on a revised pro forma for use types uh, and that could be in, in the building. But there's all sorts of wonky stuff like uh, an analysis of indoor seating decline versus population growth a thorough analysis of the Grizzlies non-compete and, and exactly the, the ramifications of all of that. More information that, than you'd want to dig into in a million years, but it's all there. It's all there. Yeah. <laughs> Marvin Stockwell, Chooch Pickard, thank you both for coming in. This was terrific and lightning, and we look forward to more this year with regard to the Mid-South Coliseum. Thank you so much for having us. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Jeff Hewlett and his fine acoustic guitar work, to producer Vance Durbin and to WYPL broadcast manager Tommy Warren, to WYPL and the Memphis Public Libraries for their support, and to you listeners and supporters of the library and FM 89.3. We hope you join us next time on Storyboard 30 for more conversation with those Memphis personalities and shapers who make our lives here in the Bluff City just a little bit better. Memphis, make it a great week. 